0: You're listening to The Greatest Multifamily Investment Advice Show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to The Greatest Multifamily Advice Show. Today we have Emma Powell, real estate investor and syndicator with more than three years on real estate syndication in Houston. Help me to welcome our guest today. How are you, Emma?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks so much for being with us today, and I appreciate you taking the time. And before we go deep on on syndication and fun stuff, I would like to start with what brings you to syndication commercial estate?
1: I got started in real estate in 2018 after we left Texas and we moved to Salt Lake City and I was just having to reinvent myself, find a new career. I was a real estate photographer and wedding photographer Mm -hmm. and I didn't really want to do that anymore because of the weird hours and it was a very, very physically demanding job and I just felt like I was getting too, a little too old for it and so when we moved to Salt Lake City, I just started looking for businesses that I could uh, help and consult on. I had like a little business consulting Like a side hustle, I guess you could say, where I was doing social media, graphic design, and helping people with. Bookkeeping and just helping them run their small businesses. And when I got up to Utah, I just started attending a lot of business networking meetings, looking for potential clients, and stumbled across a lot of real estate meetings. I've since learned that Salt Lake has a very high percentage of real estate investors per capita, and we have some of the best uh, real estate investing clubs in the country. But at the time, I didn't know it, and that's probably why I didn't stumble across those in Austin. It might have been a little harder to find even though Austin's a great place to invest for some reason Salt Lake just has a lot of people doing it and so while it makes the competition more it also makes the network much much better and so I stumbled across a couple of these meetings and I thought oh maybe I should just do this instead we had just sold a house in Texas and had a bit of cash that we could use to start that business we didn't need the entire thing for our down payment on our house and so I felt like well let's just go after this and I immediately knew I wanted to do commercial because in the photography business you make more money on commercial I knew that b2b is usually a higher profit markup than b2c and so i i really did feel strongly about commercial even from the very beginning for that reason
0: so you you basically moved from texas to salt lake so what was the upside of investing in both uh, markets and what is your focus now and in which in which range
1: Well, we started out actually in Idaho because my husband grew up in Idaho and we had actually spent the first two years of our marriage there. Our first daughter was born there. And so I felt like I knew the I-15 corridor up into eastern Idaho a lot better than I knew Salt Lake City. We hadn't really spent much time there at all. And so once we moved to Texas we didn't really spend any time in Idaho, Utah. I grew up in Seattle. We were in Texas for 20 years and I felt like I knew that market really, really well, especially being a real estate photographer. I drove around to a thousand houses during that eight or 10 years that I was that I was shooting. And I, I did listing photos for real, realtors mostly and a little bit of marketing photos for some commercial buildings. But I felt like I didn't want to invest in Salt Lake City because I didn't know where anything was. They would, a wholesaler, when I went the club would, send me an email saying, Oh, this is out in Syracuse or whatever. And I'm like, like New York, I I just had no idea where anything was, but I did. I definitely knew that Idaho area better because his family still lived there. And our oldest Mm -hmm. daughter was going to school there where we went to school. We would drive up there a lot to see them. And I said, well, we really need to be investing along this corridor that we know better. And we're driving through all of the time to come visit our family. So that's how we landed on Idaho as a great place to invest just for practical reasons. But Idaho, little did we know at the time, was growing very rapidly. I think Utah was the fastest growing state in the country from the 2010 to the 2020 census and Idaho was number two. And so we just happened to stumble across Idaho during that time because of that reason, but it was a safe, safe, familiar place for us to be investing.
0: I think he did a big jump from, I think as a photographer to actual syndication, a lot to do building your brand, uh, credibility, raising capital. So what was the first impression with you start when you started with this? Because syndication is more like a team sport. So, what was the beginning for you, especially on raising capital and having all of the objections and rejections from uh, passive investors?
1: Well, I had some partners on my first deal that I did. So I didn't really need to raise very much capital that first time at bat. Everybody who's in a commercial deal has to raise capital. I don't care if it's not your superpower, if you hate it, everybody's on board. And it needs to be something that every commercial real estate investor spends a lot of time getting better at improving that skill set, even if they have a different skill set that their superpower. Because if you don't have enough money to close the deal and you can't find enough investors who believe in the project that you're doing, then nobody does anything maybe people lose a lot of money when their earnest money goes away and so for me i knew that capital raising had to be a part of this business plan but for my first time out i wasn't able to raise very much the thing that we did was a 506c was my very first one and most people do a 506b where they're just doing a friends and family raise but i didn't really feel like i had a good network for my friends and family who were prepared to trust me. Cause like you said, it's a, it's a big shift and people are like, wait, what are you doing now? And why do you think you could do this? It sounded like a huge project yeah. and I didn't really have any, any credibility. And so I partnered up with a couple of people who, who did, who were able to raise capital, who were able to put their credibility towards it. And because it was public, I was able to put it out on LinkedIn and places like that. And I got a couple of investors, just stranger accredited investors through LinkedIn who were looking for a project that was, really high returns um, they, and they were willing to take a little bit of a risk on me of being a newer operator because the project itself had a lot of potential.
0: I see this is really impressive because usually, as you mentioned, everyone started with 506B with friends and family, but you started with credit investor with 506C, which is really impressive to have this on the first deal. Uh, it's really a big jump, I think. And But my next question will be, what asset class is more appealing for you right now in the post-markets?
1: I really prefer class B assets. It, they, they tend to do well during recessions because people who can't afford their class A's anymore will move into a class B. They mm. tend to be a little bit larger and nicer. So if you have couch surfing, you know, basically combining households, um, then, then it might give them a little bit more room. Combining households tends to happen more in the class D and the class C um, asset class. And so- the bees don't tend to do that quite as much. And so those properties tend to just do do a better job during your session. They're also a lot less capital heavy because they don't have as much deferred maintenance and they don't need as much attention to all of maybe large heavy construction projects that need to be done. And the other thing about is the tenant base tends to be a little bit more independent because they're, they're less likely to be living paycheck to paycheck. And so financially they're more independent and they're better at just paying their rent on time, setting up their they're um, auto pay. They tend to be, as a group, maybe a little bit more tech savvy because they have reliable internet. We have just found that a lot of struggles in um, a class C or a class D with the sometimes the complex doesn't even have internet, and so everybody's trying to use their phones to get stuff done, and it it just makes it a lot more difficult.
0: So uh, regarding the actual um, syndication. And working on class C and D. Can you tell me what is more appealing between the two market? Like what where do you see as actual fit for your current model right now is more like Texas or Salt Lake? Or well, I'm, trying,
1: I'm trying to be a little bit more hands-off and I'm moving more into the passive investor part of things. And so I'm looking for projects that have experienced operators, but they don't need a heavy hand. I mm. think that the class C and maybe even the class D, if you're local are great places to start because we can afford it and you're gonna learn a lot by being in there. If you have um, some partners who are very hard workers and you have a property manager who's experienced working with that type of property, I think it could be a great place to get started. It's really affordable and there's a lot less competition in the offers on those, because just people know how labor intensive they are to run from Mm -hmm. both a construction and a management standpoint. And so if you are a hard worker, you have some construction management or business management experience, or you have some partners who can pull that off, it's it's definitely where most beginners get started is... The, the lower class of properties,
0: Plus, yeah. at
1: the same time, they are the most difficult properties to run. And so it's ironic that most <laughs> beginners, that's where they get their lessons. But if, like I said, if you're a really hard worker, you understand business and you understand construction and business from a management standpoint and a financial standpoint, it's definitely a great thing for a beginner to do. We didn't make a whole lot of money off of our first uh, project that we sold that was that class. Uh, We made a little bit, I don't know if it was enough to be worth the time that we put in, but Mm. what we reaped on experience was definitely worth it. And then we were able to kind of invest that experience in deals that were more difficult to acquire because you had to raise a lot more money and you had to have a lot more credibility and a lot more experience. You will get a lot of experience on Class C and Class D deals.
0: So right now where the actual market is driven now by the feds, I think it's going to be more. Uh, important on on February 1st was uh, was a new interest hike now everyone is, is speculating about 25 pps to 50 pps how you see 2023 especially that you're jumping or you've been in, in the both seats basically on on the active part and the passive part how do you see the commercial multifamily market especially on your market Texas and Salt Lake how you see the market in 2023
1: it's definitely a cash is king and it's not only to take advantage of being able to move quickly when you see a good deal so you have your cash reserves ready to go it doesn't have to be your cash it could be your investors are ready to go but everybody making sure they have enough cash to take advantage of deals that are going south because their variable rate interest loans are reaching caps or even worse were not capped and now it no longer makes the debt service and so the dscr has fallen below one Mm. and basically it's either sell it at a discount or the bank's just going to take it and so you're trying to preserve or lose as little as possible you need to have that cash but at the same time for properties who have had their debt service go up to basically worst case scenario at this point when in the underwriting, there's conservative underwriting and then, and then suddenly worst case scenario happens. If they were very conservative on the front end, not so conservative that you'll never get a deal, right? I know people who are way too conservative and they never buy anything because nothing, nothing yeah. is gonna pass a test that's impossible. But being conservative enough and having enough cash set aside so that you basically can meet that higher debt service until the property gets stabilized, turned around and you can afford a new loan or that you have enough cash to inject in it. And, and usually the general partners, most deals that I've participated in, whether as a limited partner or as a general partner, um, the general partners are the ones who are contributing the extra capital if the property is falling short. So having a, a ready cash reserve among the partners hmm. is key. So cash is king either way, whether you're trying to keep a deal afloat or you're trying to pick up on deals that other people have had to let go because they didn't have enough cash.
0: So after five years, and this is my hard question here is five years of stress and going back and up back back and back and forth on, on deals, how you can say is your strength or superpower?
1: I know that my weakness is definitely dealing with that cash flow. Like the we like my husband does the finances in our house because when I sit down to do them, I'm like well, how are we going to pay for this? Where's the money coming from? And I don't know what we're going to do. And I start having this financial panic attack basically. And so he would usually kind of step in and take over. He's like, I got this honey. I got this honey. And so for me to deal with that on, with so many more zeros after it was really, really, really stressful. Obviously I didn't freak out and panic on my, on my partners because I knew that it, the stakes were high. We were serious and I was more professional, but that's just always been something I've really struggled with. And so recognizing that my weakness is probably the day-to-day asset management when things go wrong and I'm trying to figure out how we're going to pay for it, that that to me is, is really stressful. So I try to take a step back from that in the business and be more of a planner, a systems-driven type of planner. And so laying plans and then having People go execute those plans has always been something I've really enjoyed doing. Like my daughter always makes jokes when she got into college, I'd be like, Hey, can you can you let me open up your grad planner? And I'd be dragging and dropping the classes around, trying to trying to organize all her prerequisites and her generals and everything so she could graduate as soon as possible. And I just love doing that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not actually the one going to the college. And I'm not the one who's gonna go do the homework and get the degree, but just helping <laughs> her plan her way through that and and visualize this a uh, big difficult thing and kind of helping her through that. That's really more where I perform. And that means that I do well with large teams, like large groups of people. I have an investing club that has hundreds of people in it and we'll do a club deal and maybe have a, a dozen club members joining in to go do that deal. And because I have a large family and I love to plan and I, I love to find everybody's strengths and weaknesses and and plug them into the right spot, I feel like the ability to work with large groups of people and do large plans is great. The thing that's out of my control there is making sure that there are people who can execute those plans because it's definitely not me most of the time.
0: I, I think also another thing you mentioned in the beginning is a leverage. Uh, you started with leveraging other people, uh, experience, mentorship, books, podcasts, about mentorship, what was the uh, uh, actual influential mentor on your real estate on the last five years, starting from 2008, when you decided, okay, you know what, I have to jump to uh, commercial real estate?
1: I, like I said, the real estate clubs or the real estate National Real Estate Association has some really strong chapters in Salt Lake City and they would bring in a lot of commercial investors to talk about syndications that they were doing. And I would see them talking. I talked to them afterwards and they're no different than me. They have this, we went to the same college in a lot of cases and and had very similar upbringings, family backgrounds. And I just felt not all of us did. Obviously there's a lot of diversity in the industry, but when I found somebody that I identified with in that way, it was very empowering because I felt like if they're doing it, I can do this. And so that turned into a lot of different mentors. There was one, he got up and he was talking about his first multifamily deal. And at the end he said, if you want to reach out to me, you know, here's my number or whatever he goes, but don't ask me out for a coffee. I don't have time to sit there and shoot the breeze for a $5 cup of coffee. Don't ask to pick my brain. And so I went up to him afterwards to shake his hand. And and he asked if there was anything you'd do to help me. And I said, yeah, I'd like to take you out for a coffee. And he just gave me this look like, you gotta be kidding me. And I said, no, I knew that you would, that you would get that one and you would remember me. And so I actually did take him out for a coffee and pick his brain for an hour, because I think he just thought it was funny that I came up and said something like that. And I don't know how much value I offered him. We still have never done a deal together, but he saw something that I was serious. And I wasn't just a tire kicker that I was looking at deals, underwriting deals, looking at possibilities. And he would pass off deals that weren't a good fit for him that I could get off market before they came on. And so I felt like it was a great beneficial relationship and then I, we had some other speakers who came and I would just go and connect with them, attend their conferences. I signed up for a couple of courses, definitely a couple of masterminds, hired a couple of coaches. And mm. so it, it it was more of a hodgepodge. There was no like, I signed up for this educational group or this mastermind. And suddenly I knew everything I needed to know. Mm. It, it's definitely one person and one piece at a time. And I really did avoid spending high ticket amounts on any one educational program because they're also useful and valuable that i would just sign up for a course with minimum here go to that conference there and and was really able to cobble together a group of mentors that probably don't even know that i consider them mentors because we didn't have a close uh relationship or close working or paid relationship
0: Hmm. so everyone like on uh like especially on uh, and like on the real estate business they like that. Uh, rich dad poor dad book so what was the actual book grabbed your attention as the actual benefit for you especially on commercial estate or uh, raising capital in general
1: um i read rich dad poor dad probably in 2001 i i I want to say it really didn't do much for me. And I remember talking to people for years later where they're like, oh, that book is amazing. It changed my life. And I said, How did it change your life? It's oh just the idea that you could do this or the mindset. And I'm I'm like, how long ago did you read it? Three years, four years, whatever. I said, What have you done? And they're like, well, it's just like the belief that I can. And so I didn't know anybody who had read that book that had Mm -hmm. actually gone out and used it to change their lives. They felt like they could change their lives, but then they didn't actually do it. And so that book for me was, was kind of a letdown for that reason. I got done with it. I was like, yep, we all know passive income is great and that we can use other people's money to do it. And now what? I didn't feel like there was any me. And so somebody had actually purchased a rich dad uh, program, like next step program. And he had let me borrow it. It was back in the tapes and workbook days. And I went through the whole thing and I returned it to him. And I said, I didn't really get anything out of this either, except for go into debt millions of dollars to buy assets and then leverage those to buy more assets. Mm-hmm. And so I really, I really was stuck. And so when Dave Ramsey came along, I felt like this was like an answer for the regular person. Yeah. And so I really got down into the Dave Ramsey rabbit hole. And after we got out of debt and I felt like we had really a lot of financial control and power over our lives, mm-hmm. I started thinking about it again. Like I really would like to get some rentals, but trying to pay cash for it. It just felt so far away. And, and so it not leveraging it. So we just, he, Dave Ramsey says, you can leverage your personal home. So that's what we did. We did basically live in flips on a mortgage. And I realized I was making a lot more progress on this properties that we were living in, because we were basically doing the um, nomad thing where you would buy a house, fix it up or buy a brand new house, wait for it to appreciate for a couple of years, and then you'd move out and, and move on. And so that was where we were having our success. And when I made that leap that I need to use leverage, not just uh, loans, because Dave Ramsey's against loans, but he's also mm-hmm. against partnerships. And I knew yeah. that I could do partnerships. I'm from a large family. My husband's from a large family. We have a large family. Mm-hmm. And we Go to church and 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 serve in our church with groups of diverse people that you don't get to pick. They just are there. The same people who show up at the school and the PTA board. You you don't get to pick these people. Even when you go to work, you go to the office. Somebody else picked your coworker, and you just need to be able to get along and and make things happen with basically a group of strangers and make it happen. So the whole partnership thing was the only way I was going to get the ability to work with a diverse then start leveraging other people's experience as well as other people's money between my investors and my uh, debt providers.
0: I like also what you have here. You have also a great presence on on the social media. So my my final question will be how the people can reach your success, especially on Salt Lake and if they want to have a coffee with you. So how they can reach you?
1: Yeah. Um, my website is www.highrise.group, H-I-G-H-R-I-S-E dot G-R-O-U-P. And if you go to slash contact, it has all of my social handles there. I've got YouTube videos up basically walking through the basics of how to decide if a deal is a good deal or not, whether you're not, or you want to invest in it i have lots of stuff going on all over social platforms i used to be a graphic designer and a content manager back um, when i was doing some freelance marketing as kind of a side hustle and so for me it was just a natural extension to when i'm watching syndicators raise capital using their social media platforms to say like oh i already do that i just need to kind of turn it a little bit from photography and my freelancing to go over to raising capital and talking to people about how to make confident investing decisions. And so that's basically how that ended up. It, it really lent itself more to syndication than it did to say having like 50 single family homes by myself, right? Because there was a marketing component to the syndication and I was already doing that. So it, that, that was one thing that made me more suited to doing commercial real estate than it than it was to maybe some other types of real estate. Mm -hmm. Uh, was that social media component. So I love to chat on LinkedIn Messenger, Facebook Messenger, grab me there. I have my phone number on there. You can send me an email or text message. I also have a free club that meets every Monday night and we just get together. We just crunch deals and we decide if we want to invest in them together or not. Uh, we, We passed on a lot, but we've also done four deals in 2022 and we're getting ready to do our fifth one right now at the beginning of 2023. So it's a great way to connect, to get to know me better. There's no, there's no money involved. Uh, I do have a one-to-one accountability coaching program that if you would like to dig in and get a little bit deeper, uh, setting goals, making sure you're reaching goals, getting to know one the, another a little bit better. And that's on my website as well and under the accountability area.
0: Emma, it was great to have you today with us today. And we're really happy to bring you again to the show to talk more about your deals. I appreciate it
1: thank you so much it's it's always fun to kind of reflect back especially at the beginning of a year like this and just see your successes because it is very difficult and you can get drowned in the, the challenges of it so i love to be able to reflect back and just say okay here's what we've accomplished we're doing a good job overall and we're gonna keep pushing forward so thank you for the opportunity
0: you're doing you're doing great job so far
1: thank you